Hello, and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today is Sunday, June 28th. I have Ben and Dan. Hello, guys. Hello. Hey, everyone. And... I think to start, there was some news this week about changes to the DNC, or the Democratic National Convention. Dan, will you explain to us what's going on? Well, there's been a big back and forth, obviously. Both the conventions were supposed to happen this summer. President Trump didn't like the fact that North Carolina was going to force them to have some safety precautions in place to have a convention in Charlotte. So they moved theirs to Jacksonville. The Democrats um, and Joe Biden took the first step of delaying the convention by about six weeks from early July to the middle of August and hoping that the virus would be more under control. But given the president doesn't really care, uh, things are kind of spiraling. And so they kind of this week announced another phase of keeping Americans safe. And so the Democrats have decided to drastically downsize the convention. So there will still be Joe Biden is still supposed to accept the nomination on a stage, but instead of being in the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, 10,000 seat arena, it's going to be more at like a concert hall that's uh, down the street. So maybe more like a thousand people could potentially be there. Uh, they're not sure exactly how many people they're going to actually let into the room. And the other big thing was that the delegates who were selected to the convention don't have to actually go. They can vote uh, virtually. And so that's kind of two of the big safety things. They also canceled almost all the major kind of parties and outdoor events that they had planned to keep it um, as safe as possible. But because they want to have a full show for everyone and show off the Democratic priorities and Joe Biden and whoever the running mate is, they're going to do kind of virtual events that are based in a lot of different swing states around the country. So there'll be kind of some programming on the ground in Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, um, and kind of virtual live streams around the country. So they're trying to make it as national of a convention as they can while still being safe, and but still so showing a little bit of love for the city of Milwaukee, who's been very supportive through this process. But I, I do feel bad for everyone in Milwaukee that it was almost maybe two and a half years ago that they won the convention and everyone was super excited because July or August in uh, Milwaukee is kind of a big party town, but uh, they're not going to really get a party. So, How does that change how the party platform will be constructed. I don't really understand that process, but I know it happens at the convention. So the convention itself, they just usually mostly just vote on it. There's maybe a little bit of haggling in a meeting where they have to have, they have like a platform committee is what it's called, which is a subset of, I don't know, maybe like 50 people. And they would vote on, here are the official policies of the Democratic Party. And the 50 would then vote on it. If they approve it, it goes for all the delegates to vote for it. They're going to start working through that, they just announced a lot of virtual hearings. So you could join via, I think it's Zoom, to a platform hearing in the next couple of weeks, and you'll see different party leaders debating um, intricacies of different issues. So what exactly should the details of the criminal justice plank of the Democratic platform be? What should exactly the Medicare for All platform plank be? So those are going to happen over the next few weeks. And then based on all those hearings and feedback from community groups, there will be a draft of an official platform that will be put forward probably in early August. And then there'll be one final virtual hearing on should they adopt it and the platform committee will vote and accept it. But I mean, I think this may be, the platforms are 
important, but really the transition team, which if the president wins, they launch a presidential transition the day afterwards, and they hire a bunch of experts to kind of write the policies for the agency. That's what really does the policy for the party. Um, so that's kind of more the um, actually what would happen to governing. And right now the policies are kind of, the platform is a little bit more for like talking points heading into the election. Obviously, this was a little bit of a unique situation, and over the last few years in the Democratic Party, there's been this big push left, driven largely by people like Bernie Sanders, obviously. And I know that Biden has made a big effort to kind of reach out to that wing of the Democratic Party and uh, you know, appoint a number of Bernie's people to these kinds of committees. I'm just wondering like, if there's a lot of historical precedent for that, if this is something that's more newsworthy than actually going to have a big role in determining some of this policy, or is it ultimately going to be up to the transition team? So it's definitely ultimately up to the transition team. I think, though, I will say Joe Biden has embraced the progressive wing of the party uh, in his ideas. I do. I think if you look at his policy platforms that his team has put forward right now. Like, let's not even think about the party platform. Like if you go to JoeBiden.com and his policy platforms he's released, they are much more to the left, much further left than President Obama's policies in 2008. And even further left than Hillary Clinton's policies in 2016. So I do think that while Joe Biden himself, his voting record is pretty modern and he on the debate stage was somewhat modern. And you can hear, sorry, baby Theo in the background. Um, he... <laughs> has one of the more progressive set of policies right now and has really embraced a lot of progressive leaders joining his fold. So his, tra his transition, I would expect, will be full of a lot of intense progressive leaders. Has he changed the makeup of his campaign or sort of changed the platform since the whole protest movement, Black Lives Matter? A bit. They definitely tried to focus on that, on his issues, but I think he, even before the protests, saw the need for criminal justice reform in America and saw that Trump's crazy law and order antics were insane. Um, so I think maybe he's highlighted some of those issues, but I don't think they've really had to, they haven't moved left. They already embraced a lot of the, the policies that the activists now are calling for. I think the one parallel that people have been saying recently is, is Biden somewhat similar to an LBJ? So Lyndon Johnson was thought of as like a moderate, maybe conservative Democrat from Texas and after JFK's death, passed some of the most progressive legislation that we've seen in America. Civil rights bills um, and Medicaid all came out of FDR. Well, you're so, getting ahead of yourself a little bit, it seems like, to be comparing Joe Biden to LBJ. But um, well, I don't know about that. So wait, if you say LBJ, do you think most people will think Lyndon B. Johnson or LeBron James? What do you think the percentages <laughs> would be? Probably LeBron James. That's fair. Um, but we'll you see. How old are the people 50? you're talking to? Are. Right. How old are the people? And yeah, exactly. At most, no, it's probably 80, 20 LeBron James. I don't know. I don't know, though. I mean, like, it's not like Le LeBron goes by LBJ that, that commonly, right? Like, he's just LeBron. He's got, he's reached that stage. Yeah. I'd say If he'd he gone by LBJ for his whole career, then and yeah, there's for a sure, lot yeah. of old people. I think it's close to 50-50, but he's uh, that's that's rough for the the white older LBJ. He's getting LBJ taken from him. Do you think? I'm sure he's turning okay. in his grave. <laughs> Do you think Joe Biden is purposefully trying to stay in the shadows right now? I keep hearing talking heads say that he is just trying to stay out of the spotlight as much as possible because he doesn't really do himself too much good when he's talking off the cuff, and Trump is just sort of imploding. 
I mean, I do think Trump is imploding. So the best thing for Joe Biden is Donald Trump being out in public. Um, Biden is doing a lot of events. The problem is if the press doesn't cover it, it's not Joe Biden's fault. If Biden's doing a speech and no cable network picks it up, is that Joe Biden hiding in his basement or the press saying we're only going to cover Donald Trump's deranged lunacy every day? So I think there's a bit of a double standard, I don't know, or just kind of like lack of internal consistency on the part of the media to say like, oh, Joe Biden's not doing a lot. It's like, well, he gives a speech on race. And if you don't cover it, that's kind of you. It's not really Joe Biden. So I think that the other thing for Joe Biden is he's trying to be safe, right? He doesn't want to have rallies right now where people will get sick. And that is a big fundamental part of his campaign is he's going to be responsible for everyone and try to heal and protect Americans, not do things for his own vanity, where Trump needed the Tulsa rally because Trump's in the dumps and Trump's really sad right now because Noah doesn't have Jenny cheering crowds and he can't go golfing. And so he tries to just risk people's lives as a result where Biden is like, yes, I think if you ask any politician, would they rather be in front of 10,000 people cheering them on or sitting at home on a Zoom? I think they would all pick being in front of 10,000 people cheering them on. But there's also a part of being responsible for the other for your voters that Joe Biden is trying to lead by example on. So let's pivot to um, our relationship with Russia. Ben, explain to us, we're going to call this Russia slash Bounty Gate. What is happening or what was revealed this week? Uh, it came out in the New York Times, I believe, last Friday, uh, that Russia's intelligence service has been running a program for the last few years in Afghanistan where they were paying bounties on American soldiers who were killed by the Afghani militia or these, sorry, the, the Taliban associated militia there in Afghanistan. But apparently the word is that Trump was briefed about this in March when the CIA found out about it due to intelligence on the ground from militia fighters who have subsequently been captured and spoke about the details of this program. And in that time, Trump has tried to continue to extend olive branches to Russia. He's made no move to potentially punish them or condemn them for this kind of program, which is against, I believe it's a it's war crimes um, by most international laws. So this is pretty kind of astonishing and you know, yet another line item to the long list of evidence that Trump is actually in Putin's pocket and his, his you know, Putin probably has some kind of devastating information on him. Compromot or whatever. Yeah. Um, so wait, what uh, What if he just didn't know, what if Trump has no idea that this is going on? This is one thing that I find really interesting about the Trump presidency is I was hearing someone talk about how, or I guess it was John Bolton's book revealed that he only reads his um, some sort of international briefing that you get every morning. He only reads that once a week, maybe twice a week. So a lot of the time when things happen, for instance, the coronavirus or something like this, like this bounty, or if there's a there's an impending disaster or something, he can he probably actually hasn't heard about it, even though the intelligence department has. There's a high chance he personally hasn't because he doesn't seem to pay that much of attention. So he can always play the card of, well, I wasn't really trying that hard or I wasn't paying attention that closely to get away with things like this. So for me, this, although this is a pretty crazy story from ever since the WikiLeaks, if you ever, man, it was really fun to read through 
the U.S. diplomatic cables about Russia during the WikiLeaks leaks like 10 years ago and the shit that goes on in Russia. So although this is, you know, not a, not a great, doesn't shine the greatest light on uh, our efforts to, to co- combat things like this or, or having troops in places like Afghanistan, it doesn't surprise me very much because this is sort of what Russia does all the time. And I don't, I don't necessarily dispute that Trump didn't know this was going on because he doesn't, he seems to just be paying, he seems to just be tweeting about things and living in his little angry bubble all the time. Does he not know or does he not care to know, right? And that I think is where it's like people say it's a dereliction of duty. If you're told that someone is putting bounties on your soldiers and you don't have the time to read it because you're too busy hate watching Fox News or MSNBC in the morning, then that's kind of on you. Even if you don't know, it you knew, right? Like that's kind of like a sin of omission versus commission. I don't know. I think like it's a sin either way. I didn't take the job seriously, and the company not by law or I'm whatever. I'm not sure. He doesn't know. Well, there's no You're law when it comes to your vote getting voted out of office. I think you can blame them all the, just as much for not paying attention as for paying attention and not caring. Yeah, that's true. He definitely got to him because he quickly came out and said, "I had no idea this was happening." So you know he understands this is a big deal. Yeah, especially when you consider you know the political leanings of the military and their families. They, they are pretty strikingly Republican. So anything to compromise that, and he's looking at a you know 400 electoral vote whitewash. And there was one report today, Charlie Gasparino, who's a hack Fox business um, analyst, came out today and said, for the first time, I've heard from multiple GOP operatives that they would not be surprised if Donald Trump drops out if he continues to be doing this poorly in the polls. He would drop out, and then someone else would run or something? What? Pence would run, yeah. Don't you think that's exactly what would happen, that he would just, like, end in the end, abandon the entire Republican Party and watch it burn, just like a bankrupt casino? And oh he just God. walks away and says, I would have won again, but I didn't think I needed to, and all you fake news people don't deserve me. You know what's amazing about that strategy? Is if he did that, he could run again in four years. He could run you again know? in four years, yep. And save face. And be like, yeah, and say, I didn't I, even try. Yeah. I didn't lose. You guys picked Joe Biden. You know what's stupid. funny and about that? I heard Anthony Scaramucci float that idea like a month or two ago on some TV show. He was like, let me tell you, I really foresee Donald Trump quitting the race. But that just seems too far-fetched. He just seems too much of an egoist. Too far-fetched to me. Talk about LBJ. We just talked about him. He dropped out when he thought he was going to lose. Just didn't run. I, I don't know if you saw the interview that Trump did with Hannity, where Hannity asked him just softball questions. You know, what are your priorities for the second term? And he, he couldn't answer it because he clearly hasn't thought about it. So, right. I mean, and I don't, I don't think he, he thinks... He did say most of people seem to want Joe Biden to be the next president. He did seem very defeated. But what's so crazy about it is... The last election, he also didn't think he was going to win. So I don't see that stopping him from continuing to run, to be honest, because he didn't think he was going to win last time. And he ended up running until the very end. So, but, um, I mean, well, I okay, don't know. Wait. So it, 
Well, so going back to last week and his disaster of a Tulsa rally, I mean, I think that that is like a serious blow to his ego, right? You know, Dan Dan was saying earlier that every politician would rather be in front of a huge cheering crowd. And, but for Trump in particular, I think it's like so such a core tenet of how he thinks of himself, not only as a person, but as a politician. And I don't know, these images of him getting off of Marine One, just like looking like a really depressed sack of potatoes. Uh, I, I think they were pretty telling. Like that was the most human he's looked in in a while, and he looked like you know a shell of himself. I don't know. That's it. All just feels like wishful thinking to me. That this fucking crazy person is just gonna bow out. But maybe. I would rather he runs. I don't think. I I, I think that Pence is probably a bigger threat to Biden at this point than Trump is. Like yeah, Pence is. I don't know the human personification of a glass of lukewarm milk but like he's not a fucking crazy person like trump like trump is so singularly obscene that i could see a lot of people who were you know anti-trump going back towards pence just because again they vote republican their whole lives and now they have someone that is at least palatable that they can vote for there's like a maybe i feel like there's also some of the people he's losing i feel like think pence is like the weirdest mf'er in the world because he kind of is and so it could go one of two ways it could be like some people come back but other people are like oh my god not him and uh and then joe biden wins by 20 or someone else jumps into the race at the very end there's like a write-in like mitt romney's like i'll save the country with like six weeks left and so you get this like three-way split that ends up in like a disaster like all things are possible i don't think we are fully appreciating how crazy things could get in the next four months. And it's, it's kind of insane. It's four months from next week. So could wait, could things get crazy on the democratic side in any way? Could we see like some sort of late challenger or something like that? Not if Joe Biden is alive and breathing. No. All right. What if he, what if he's not alive and breathing? What happens then? I'm not saying, I'm just saying like, that's like Joe Biden has the democratic party nomination completely. Would it go to Bernie if, if Biden is six feet under when it, it comes to August? If it was pre-convention, I don't, I don't know if something happened. I mean, I don't know what, I don't think it would go to Bernie, but um, post-convention, whoever the VP is, it's, but things like that have never happened. So I don't, I mean, I don't want to speculate on terrible things like that. <laughs> okay. Um, so where are we at? Let, let's just briefly, so we don't rehash this beat a dead horse, you could say. Um who is the vice presidential running? Who is who is it now, this week? Where Are we still stuck on... Um, it seemed like last time Kamala Harris was the runaway favorite, in our opinion, and the Vegas polling opinion. It seems like she still is. I'm definitely a little surprised, but she definitely seems... She's got her PR campaign, I think, in full swing. There's some nice articles about her this weekend about why she should be the pick, so... She's doing a good job on that front. I'm not sure if the Biden team will like the fact that she's running a PR campaign. You can never, never know. But um, but it seems like she's uh, she's trying hard for it. From so, my perspective, just based totally off of warmth and like likability, and just uh, yeah, basically those two attributes. I really like Keisha Lance Bottoms. She just seems like. The one of the nicer and more just um, well-meaning candidates, and she and a lot of the other ones feel so stilted 
when they talk. So I don't know. Even though I understand, I, I didn't even know her name until like two months ago. For something about her, seems she she's going to have a long political future. In my totally, I hope so. Yeah, unprofessional opinion. No, I definitely think so. And that's the question for her: is like, is this the right time, or should she just wait and then try to, you know, run for governor of Georgia in a couple of years, something like that? Against Stacey. So what? How against did Stacey Abrams. Yeah. How did Stacey Abrams move from being? It seemed like her name was the primary name for a while, and now well, I remember last week they we checked and she was like tenth on the list. Right. I don't know. I think maybe a couple things. One, I think people feel like given there's so much going on right now, it's hard to have someone who's just been a state representative maybe be like that close to the presidency where she's you know never on a city, never on a state. So she just doesn't have a ton of experience. I think maybe part of it. Part of it, I think, is that I think these are all press rumors, so I have no idea if these are true, but that Joe Biden basically tried to get her to be his VP like a year ago and to run the whole thing as a joint ticket. And she said no. And so maybe he's like, well, I gave you the chance once wow, and you turned me down. Very spiteful. So I don't know if I'm going to do it again. And she didn't run for one of the Georgia Senate seats. So maybe people were a little bummed about that. I don't know. It's, it's been interesting. Which is definitely less in the news, but that doesn't mean he's not going to pick her in two weeks. Wait, quick pivot, Dan. We're pivoting. This is how we do it here. And yeah. is this like a triangle offense, or what? How would you? Oh, great, great segue because we're going to talk about the 16 players of the NBA that tested positive this week. They're also going to be moving into the. Actually, they just took the mantle from us as the hotspot for coronavirus i guess they're in arizona a couple of other places how do we see this uh bubble actually unfolding i'm definitely worried about it. i think the biggest worry is that not for the players but for all the other people and the workers right like to support how many i don't know how many NBA players there are there's like 40 people per team and there's 20 teams so there's like, like 800 15, plus? 15 man roster usually. Some 15 man roster, but then there's everyone, a couple, you know, coaches, some trainers, whatever that oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're having, you know, seven or 800 people that are part of this, then plus the media. So maybe you're at 1,000 people. And then they all have to like eat and all the like support staff. I think that's the worry. This is the support staff that's going to be coming and going. It was one thing in a world where there weren't that many cases in Florida, but now if, you know, 20% of tests are positive in Florida, how do you? survive having you know a thousand probably people come in staff come in and out every day i think that's the biggest worry yeah and i mean i think uh rudy gobert either yesterday or today came out and said that he's still at 100 percent. like his he's probably suffered semi or potentially permanent lung damage and he he was i believe the first nba player to test positive all the way back in march and was a big part of the reason why the season got canceled in the first place and if he's still not better he's i think he's like what, 27 years old, young, super healthy. Uh, I, I just worry a lot. Um, there's still so much we don't know about this virus. We're still uh, unclear about potential issues with different ethnicities, but we do know that certain ethnicities are more prone to complications that or, um, are more susceptible to certain types of diseases that are known to cause complications with this virus. You know, asthma rates are much higher in the African-American community, diabetes, other autoimmune diseases. 
Um, so I would potentially worry about an outbreak, especially when you have these guys that are super sweaty and they're literally jostling against each other for, you know, 48 minutes. So they're, they're wearing a ring, like a very techni- technological ring that detects, pre-detects the symptoms. So how does this, Ben, explain to us how practically it would work. So somebody is feeling a little bit hot or something like that. They go in, they they don't test positive, but they have symptoms, and the symptoms get worse. Would you immediately test positive if you had coronavirus at all, or does it need to get to a certain level in your body for you to even get a positive test? Uh, that's a good question. Um, every test has what's called a limit of detection. I'm not positive about the specifics with this test. I would assume that if it's like other types of viral tests, you need to reach a certain titer. Um, you know, a certain number of viruses per, you know, drop of blood or per uh, per nasal swab in order for it to be detected because they're doing something called a PCR, which amplifies, you know, a few numbers of copies. That said, those copies need to be there in the first place. I do believe that it is able to detect fairly early on, but exactly how many days that is into the course of infection, we have no real way of knowing. Interesting. So I'm just wondering... Because it's bound to happen that somebody in the bubble tests positive. How far do they have to go back in the contact tracing? I mean, how quickly and easily is it going to be able to figure out how that came about? And also, how how many people are then? Are you really going to be quarantining entire teams? Isn't that what they're saying? You're going to be quarantining the whole team and then the last team they played, I thought was the last thing I heard. Yeah, I think that's that's what they're planning. I, I guess it, it kind of depends on how many people are who are coming down with this at once, right? Like if you have even two or three people instead of just one, then it becomes orders of magnitude more complex in terms of all the contact tracing that you have to do. So I don't think that they have um, really well-defined protocols, and I don't think that anyone in the world does. They're just going to do the best that they can and, and see the results. I think that, you know... We'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see, but I, I'm I would definitely so excited be to watch this thing blow up. It is going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, some team is definitely going to have two people test positive, and then they're going to be out. Right? It's going to be like okay, all of a sudden, you know, whatever. Chris Middleton tests positive, and then the Bucks have to forfeit the series, and then LeBron wins a title. I don't know. Or what I really think is going to happen is that they've said James Harden is in the best shape of his life, and the crazy Rockets are going to win the title and everyone is going to go apeshit because they're going to say that it was like rigged. Pre-planned. Pre-planned and Maury planted like coronavirus on someone to help their odds. Chris Paul wouldn't let that happen. He would call in a fake tip to the, to the Rockets and get them quarantined. That would be funny, but I hope not. I mean, given how compressed the schedule is going to be, I could I could see that being a huge advantage for the Rockets. The other thing, right? Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just not that long to have, I don't know. So we'll see. I'm very curious to see if people aggressively start opting out. You're starting to see a couple people every day opt out. So will anyone on major teams, Avery Bradley was the first one, right, of like a real, he was playing 25 minutes a game for the Lakers and he opted out. So will you see some other major names or like key role players opt out? I don't know. What else should, uh, Ben, who do you think is going to win the Premier League this year? It's already done. Liverpool already won. <laughs> Good question, though. You know who sealed it for them? Chelsea sealed it for them. 
I had to That's... give you that layup. I had to give you that. <laughs> oh no, it's like the third time. And Chelsea has a weird habit of like deciding Premier League titles. Like they drew with Spurs. They beat Liverpool when Gerrard slipped. Um, obviously, they've won a, two titles in that interim as well. So yeah. What's the next fun like major soccer tournament? Is there anything gonna be good coming up? So the Champions League is always the best tournament. It's always the, it's all the best clubs in Europe playing each other, and they are compressing that to like two weeks in August, all right here in Lisbon, actually. Um, so that's. So wait, are they playing away in a home matches, or is it all no, one match? No, they're gonna do they're, one and so done, they have right? To, yeah, they they have to do uh, they have to finish up a couple of uh, round of sixteen matches. Um, I think there's still four of those to go. And I think those are going to be, because the first leg was played at a non-neutral site, they're going to go back wherever it's possible. So like Chelsea have to play away in Germany. Um, and then once Bayern go through anyways, then the remaining eight teams are going to congregate in Lisbon. And I believe they're going to do one-off, uh, you know, one-legged eight-team eight tournament to, to figure out the, the winner. All over, I think it's like 11 days or something. So it should be, it's going to be kind yeah, of like a that'd World awesome. Cup. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be like a mini World Cup knockout stage, except with higher quality play. So that's exciting. And then I guess the Euro, that was supposed to be, or no, is that this summer or was that next summer? That was going to be this summer. Um, Euros are always on even years. And is Actually. that, uh, is that postponed? Uh, yeah, the Euro's been pushed back till till next summer. So the the original plan for this Euro because it was like the right the anniversary uh, yeah like the huge sweet. anniversary right it was going to happen in like seven different countries all over the place I can't see them doing that next summer unless you know we have a super effective vaccine and everyone's fine uh, I suspect that they're going to pivot and pick a single site for next summer I don't know if they've announced anything yet I haven't followed up what's the uh, current news on the vaccine. Still nothing, nothing tangible. I mean, everything is in is in trials right now, and you know, it's not like for other types of drugs where you have some progress. You know, this patient is doing much better. This patient is cured. Um, you know, a lot of the time for kind of like therapeutic trials, there'll be periodic data dumps, um, and you'll get some trial results that kind of trickle out. With this, because it's a vaccine and it has to be evaluated over a longer period of time, there's, you know, we're just kind of in a holding pattern. Got it's it. So it'll all, it'll, all the results will be delivered all at the same time. Well, you know, you might see some, but not for a few months. Like, they'll, they'll, I'm sure what they've done is they've kind of batched patients, right? So they'll treat all of them at once. And then after three months have gone by, then they can start analyzing those data from those patients. So you might see it come out in batches, but but not for a while because, you know, like we've discussed, they have to allow the initial response to the vaccine go away right. and make sure that the body can be reactivated. Otherwise, it's pointless. So what is, um, have treatments gotten better? I was hearing that they're using more convalescent plasma. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like a couple of things that have come out. There's a pretty cheap form of chemotherapy that has proved to be semi-effective. Uh, chloroquine's obviously dead. I think that basically right now, because we sort of know that cytokine storm is what kills a lot of patients, I think that they're pushing a lot of strong anti-inflammatory drugs, not steroidal ones, because as we discussed you know, months ago, it was pretty quickly realized that steroids actually hamper uh, your ability to fight this off, but I think like certain types of chemotherapy or powerful anti-inflammatories, 
um, and they've proved to be at least semi-effective anecdotally, if not in large-scale trials yet. But given given everything that's going on, these the use of these in emergency situations is warranted. So what are our thoughts of the Michael Steele dossier? We've never talked about that on the podcast. Thoughts? I think Trump, uh, it was all true, and Trump is a terrible human. So you think it is true? I would say it's basically all true. Maybe not 100%, 90% probably. I mean, most thing, most bad things about Trump are true. All right, so what are your thoughts about it? You know, like your actual thoughts about the hotel room. I don't know. I don't. As someone who's probably raped 20 women, I don't know, something like that, right, or sexually assaulted, like I don't think anything crazy sexual is out of bounds for Trump, so... What about you, Ben? Do you think it's true? I mean, yeah, probably at this point. Like, he's not been able to come out with any strong evidence contrary, or like that that contradict anything, right? Right. Like, and this he, is definitely a guilt it, until proven innocent type situation. Yeah, I mean, you just have to look at the pattern of behavior. Even if there was like, if he could prove one or two things false, like you would think he would do it just to discredit the dossier, but he hasn't. So, right. I don't know. And do we think all this stuff's going to come out later? Do we think that this is like in, I don't know, lawsuits? It seems like Trump, one thing the Trump presidency has spawned is just, I bet millions of lawsuits. I mean, he is trying actively to get everything just delayed, delay it after November. So his niece wrote a tell-all book about how fucked up the whole family is, which is supposed to come out in the next few weeks. And so you can't ban books. That's a pretty clear First Amendment violation. So it's going to come out. And then we're going to learn a lot about what happened and what made Trump Trump. And we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if people follow up on all the different things about how he kind of, he and his sister, who was a federal judge, which is insane, did like a $400 million inheritance scam to like not pay taxes on it. There's so many things that will come out. I mean, the lawsuits about his tax returns, they can maybe, he might win where he doesn't have to release them all. He's the president, but then he has to release them. Yeah, is all of it going to come out eventually? It seems like think, it will. I think so. It probably won't make it into the Trump presidential library. They'll probably keep that wing separate. Um, <laughs> but I think that maybe someone should buy a piece of property right across from where he has his library and say, this is, is the truth. That's a great idea. That's, that's the investment we need to make. I think we should actually start fundraising for that right now to say we need to build the truth library that goes right across from President Trump's eventual presidential library. Is his library include... going to be in Queens? Like, where's his library going to be? I, I would assume he will have the government to buy his like foundation that he raises money from from private people will buy a bankrupt Trump property for like a billion dollars and <laughs> say that was the true market value that has a lot of name brand value because it was Trump, and so he will swindle like four or five hundred million dollars through his library into his pocket i would what's he gonna put in his library like a lot of coloring books or maga hats maga hats um uh a lot of photos of him maybe a photo of ivanka i don't think tiffany's gonna get a place pence maybe has a way it could be mar-a-lago i wouldn't be surprised if it's just at mar-a-lago i don't think so no i'm telling you it's gonna be somewhere that's like a bankrupt golf club and he's gonna turn it into the Trump resort, Trump library, 
and golf course, something like that, oh so that he God, can profit off. That is so sad, but it's, it's right. That's definitely, definitely right. right though. This is like, he is easy to predict, right? It's like, what can I do to benefit me and steal the money from other people, <laughs> and then build off the brand, and then yeah. listening to what our point this week please follow us on twitter or instagram at what our point please for the love of god wear masks hong kong has had like six cases because 97 percent of them wear masks it's that simple wear a mask save lives we'll talk to you again soon bye now